0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another Bald Movies. This one is a a Bald Move prestige joint. It's The Hunt for Out October from 1990, the Cold War submarine spy thriller directed by John McTiernan, which you might recognize as some uh, helming some of the best 80s action movies of all time. talking Predator, I'm talking Die Hard, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Uh, is based on a screenplay by Lawrence, or sorry, Larry Ferguson and Donald Stewart, uh, which is based on a best-selling novel by Tom Clancy. Um, which I am a huge fan of this movie and this... Uh, I'm totally in the tank for this movie and for the book. Uh, I can't wait to talk about it. It stars Sean Connery, uh, Alec Baldwin, Scott Glenn, James Earl Jones, Sam Neill, Tim Curry, Skel- Stellan Skarsgård, and I have I have to mention it, even though it's a very, very minor role, mm-hmm. Gates McFadden, yep. Dr. Crusher of The Next Generation fame, uh, who she got done dirty by by Star Trek and then by this production and then by a future production uh it's a it's quite a tale that I that I uncovered uh oh, and really? also okay. most importantly Sean Connery's $20,000 hairpiece allegedly <laughs> uh there's it, a whole I'll, tale about that too it it looks good i got to say like i i i, I, I think that Sean Connery has to owe his 1990 People Magazine Sexiest Man Alive nomination to this $20,000 toupee. Yeah. Because he like it just takes him right to Silver Fox territory. Mm-hmm. Uh and how do you keep your hands off of him? Would you pay 20 grand to be People's Sexiest Man Alive? Uh no, but having hair that good in my advancing okay. years,
1: yeah, that's probably worth it. It's probably worth it. Hmm. Um, I gotta say also to... before to preface this podcast that nothing of what you are about to hear ever happened. No, so just it's, it's been
0: disavowed by the U.S. and former Soviet uh, governments. It's, it's funny uh, that you mention that actually, too hot to handle.
1: Uh, because like the the former Soviet governments, it's uh, this movie was sort of it came out at a weird time because this whole yeah. story revolves around you know this soviet era government doing these shady things with their submarines and tricking the the americans and it was about to release in a time where the soviet government had just been essentially like the cold war was ending um Mm -hmm. it was essentially over because the government had fallen the communist party was ousted and like sure they they, and so the 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 text that they put in the beginning of this film is there specifically for that reason Right. Because I in fact
0: I there was some pre production problems with like Sean Connery dismissing this, being like, Oh, the Soviets launching a new submarine is just unrealistic Uh and like throwing it in the pile and they're like, No, 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 it's it's actually takes place in nineteen eighty four, see? Yeah. Um But I don't know, it's it's interesting because uh I it is weird that because something happened, like in current year, that something that was entirely plausible and gripping that could have happened just a year ago would suddenly the public have no interest
1: in. I think that's yeah wild. You know, um, like, it's I like think they w- made the you- right call though. Like just do something oh, yeah. minor to to you know just lampshade that and and be done with it. Like right, but right. still release the movie. Obviously.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just funny. It's like, uh, you you know, what if you, the Chernobyl miniseries came out a year after Chernobyl when they got to the Sarcophagus and everything was pretty, you know, quote unquote cool. It's like, oh, listen, who, who gives a shit anymore? Chernobyl's extra, you
1: know, yesterday's news. Got to wait 30 years to produce that thing. Yeah, it's weird. Um, um, like you would even care about that. I mean, this is a fictional work. Um, th- this could be. You know, the Martians, like this could be the expanse, right? The Martians and the yeah, Earthers, yeah. and like who gives a shit if it's true to life? Right. But I guess Tom Clancy right. tries to do these very realistic political thrillers. Yes. And so rip
0: from the headlines or even predicting yeah. the headlines. You know, he did uh, like 15 years before 9 11, he wrote a story about a uh, disgruntled uh, a separatist kind of faction sh- uh, crashing a jetliner into. Uh, the Capitol building. Um, He kind of has a way of reading tea leaves and and coming up with plausible things that later turn out to be true. In fact, Mm -hmm. um, one of the legends is like when Hunt for Out October was first published, it caused a lot of consternation in, in the... Uh, pentagon because they're like who the fuck cleared this project like this has got entirely too much accurate information about you know submarine warfare tactics technology capabilities and it's stuff that like tom clancy had just because he's interested in this uh did a lot of research talked to a lot of sub boat skippers maybe some of them are a little bit too loose tongued, and uh but but it, he maintained that he got all this stuff from essentially public sources yeah um and also, I guess this movie blew up the U.S. Navy's spot on, like, it wasn't public information that we were using gravitational sensors in addition to sonar to, like, detect, um, you know, anomalies underwater and navigate. And there's a throwaway line about, like, you know, the Grav- the GravMev Grav- sensor is saying this, that, or another. And that one line, like, I don't know, cost, like, Lockheed Martin a billion dollars or something because... <laughs> Wow. That was super secret technology. But I do wonder, like, well, how the hell did that get out then? Like, you know, somebody yeah. said something. Loose ships, you know, sink, sink sonars sink or something. Sink yep. Sink lifts. Oh, God. God. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is one of my, like like I said, this is one of my all-time favorite movies. This is what made me a Tom Clancy fan because I saw this and I'm like, I'm going to read the book behind it. And the book huh. is just, if is is first of all, this is... One of the top five most faithful adaptations of a book, you know, you can throw Lord of the Rings on there, you can throw The Godfather, um, The Martian, you know, we're talking about Martians and stuff that that's as far as faithful adaptations of a book to a movie. Um, Very little is lost. There's a few changes for like Hollywood and there's a couple of simplifications. But Hunt for October, unlike most of Tom Clancy's books, is only like 350 pages. Like oh, Red wow. Storm Rising is like a thousand pages or some shit like that. Um, but this one's a pretty brisk, pretty brisk tome. And if you like this movie I, and, and you like reading, I highly recommend the book because the book is just this only with more detail, more characterization, um, lots more technical stuff about spy craft and submarine warfare. But the essential story and what happens
1: is is pretty much the same. Yeah, it's very, very accessible. You were telling me... Um... Uh, a, a couple days ago, or something, when we were talking about this podcast, that the book has like a, a, some scenes about, um, I guess more more stuff about them being chased or or like maybe pre pre stealing mm-hmm. the sub stuff, um, where they're just kind of going yeah. into like subs, you know, d- sinking into the depths and and how deep they can go yeah. and what it feels like to do that. And I was thinking man, that seems like it would be a valid entry in this film and and really help the audience understand like the dangers that they're in. But the stakes, after yeah. watching it, I feel like that was a smart cut because they never really go to... You know, what every other submarine movie does, which is like, we're going right. deep. The sub might cave in on itself. We're, we're approaching
0: crush, crush depth, depth, everyone. They right. they do a little bit when, when Dallas gets the order to kill the Red October and they do like an emergency dive to like a thousand meters and you can hear the hull popping and yeah. settling. But like it's well within the subs capabilities. And right. o- only Ryan's freaking out because he's the guy that's never been on a sub. Everybody else yeah. is like cool as a, cus- a cucumber because and they don't dwell is- on it. It's like a F-16 pilot breaking the sound barrier. It's like, that's just Tuesday for them. But if you're a civilian, you're in the back, you know, hyperventilating and throwing up in your pouch and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, so smart um, cut. And that's one of the reasons I think this works really well, too, is because you've got this character, Jack Ryan, who's a very smart, capable person, but he's an everyman. Um, He's even got military experience, but the submarine stuff is alien. Mm -hmm. And him, like, you know, entering this world and being... You know, it's a series of his investigations in the first act of the movie is all about him like going to various experts and being like, Look at this picture. What is this picture? What could this be? And they explain to him, which explains
1: to us like why this is a threat. Um I feel like Tom and Tom Clancy wants to be Jack Ryan, right? He's the analyst and and <laughs> it's the a analyst is too. like absolutely. He he's the perfect he's in the perfect position to be that sort of every man with just a shitload of knowledge and the ability to right. connect every dot that he finds. Uh, yeah. b- because he can go into any situation and since he's not a field operative or yeah. or somebody who you know is in the military organization or whatever he's not going to know a lot of stuff but he also knows a shitload of stuff because he has access to a lot of information so right. it, it makes for like, he's like Jack Ryan being able to get into any situation really quickly with a, a small amount of, of updating
0: yeah just a digression on the Ryan verse um, he is very much a Mary Sue like this guy I mean I I this was well known as conservative pornography back in the 80s and 90s and I didn't care cuz I was conservative and I fucking I loved it. <laughs> but like this guy is constructed to be like the perfect conservative hero. He, you know, came from a, a modest background, uh, Irish Catholic upbringing, uh, joined the Marines, but didn't wash out. He actually had a severe back injury from a helicopter training crash that almost crippled him. He fought back from that, then became a financial analyst and like won a fortune on Wall Street retired from that to become a professor of like obscure military history and was always just forced into these positions and you know like unlike most politicians that like want to get to the next rung he was always like pushed up the ladder and like damning and fucking everyone around him like I don't give a, like I'll I'll tell to the president of the United States that he's full of shit and he's wrong and he's unconstitutional because I don't want that job but somehow you'll never guess by the end of the Ryan verse, uh, <laughs> Jack Ryan sits, sits in the oval office as the president through some crazy, he gets, he saves the, the prince, prince and princess while he's visiting in England and becomes a knight. Like, it's just, it's just all this amazing conservative wish fulfillment. Um, but they're really, really, despite all that really gripping, interesting tales. Like I'd recommend, uh, red storm rising in particular and, uh, hunt for red October to anyone. Um, hmm. Uh, Patriot Games is really good. Uh, yeah. Cardinal and the Kremlin is just like one of the best pure spy novels I've ever, ever read. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm in the tank. I still, you know, have enough affection for this character in this role that like I could. I, I've i actually been th- thinking about rereading the Tom Clancy books again.
1: Because um, I that'll take a lifetime. The well, the thing is, books? is
0: like it's also widely known that Tom Clancy didn't write tom clancy books much past Uh, like the fourth or fifth one if he ever wrote them at all like Mm -hmm. they were ghost written by this guy who's you know the actual writer and tom would just send him dossiers of like here are the set pieces and situations and technology and the geopolitical stuff you go write all the the dialogue and 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 characterizations and whatnot
1: slap Um, his name on it he does that with video games too
0: or did well and and once you get there's a there's a couple point like, I think the bear and a dragon is where um, the the novels take a real nosedive in quality and I stopped reading when he's he tried to because re- Jack got too old he was a president what the hell are you gonna do with him uh-huh. and then they rebooted it essentially the series with Jack Ryan's son doing all the same shit and I'm like this is this is stupid this is you know getting getting off and then you know he died a couple years ago so yeah, quite, a, quite a few but yeah Hunt for October, the film, Um, it's a Uh great adaptation of this novel and has everything that's great in it. And I I just think it's amazing how well they do introducing people that don't know anything about like submarines into this world. And like they do a lot of smart tricks about because it's inherently hard to keep track of these characters, you know, Um, but they do things with the lighting scheme like, you know, uh, Hunt for October has a muted blue like lighting scheme, the Dallas has kind of like uh, a, a red issued scheme. The uh, I forget the, the the Russian attack sub that uh, is commanded by one of Ramius's uh, you know mentors. It's got a green lighting scheme. So as you go from boat to boat to boat, you know immediately. Uh, Without having to look at the uniforms or the faces, you know, immediately, oh, this is the American boat. This is the quote unquote good guy Russian boat. This is the bad guy Russian uh, boat. They do things like I said, introduce, you know, the technology from a perspective of an expert that's lecturing a person who's not an expert. So that, um, and the idea that like, you know, Jack doesn't really know what he's doing. So like he's protesting, like, you know, having to ship out to this aircraft carrier and it, it allows you to easily follow the action. Um, And when since this outsider is central to the action, everything, every time, you know, he usually asks the audience question, like, what the hell are we doing? And the submarine captain can essentially turn to the camera and tell you what's happening. Mm -hmm. And it I don't know, as I'm describing it, I feel like I'm describing a bad, flawed movie. But I, you know, I hadn't seen this movie in about five, six years, Um, but I really had a good time watching it again. Um,
1: how many times have you seen this movie and and what did you think? Just kind of spoiler free. This is either my second or third time seeing it. Um, and I absolutely don't think this is a bad movie. I think this is nearly perfect. I think, I think there are some, some questions I have, which we'll get to here in a little bit, um, around why they did certain things the way they did. But yeah, I, I found it very easy to follow. Uh, and part of it was probably down to those visual cues that they were giving us. Um, but also, you know there's a little bit of a worry up front when i see sean connery trying to do a russian accent like i'm thinking oh shit this is highlander right this is an egyptian uh-huh. with a scottish accent doing uh-huh. english egyptian and... spaniard yeah right <laughs> right <laughs> uh but then they very quickly moved past that and i was grateful uh-huh. for it um and and all the things you're talking about where they're you know catching the audience up to speed on the world of submarines uh naval combat and stuff they're They're really uh, economic, economical in the way that they approach that, and I appreciated it, especially because this movie comes in at what just slightly over two hours with credits. It's like two ten, something like that. It moves, Uh Uh, yeah, and I feel like there is a a remarkable amount of action and story that takes place in those two hours.
0: Well, even like I'm thinking, like the credit sequence is just hustle. This movie is hustle and bustle from the jump. Like it's all the the you join this uh the action. Red October is going out to sea. Then you go to Jack Ryan and he's like frantically packing and getting onto a plane. And, you know, like it's just it's it's kind of like a very subdued Indiana Jones in that there's very little like transition, like slow pieces. It's always just like action is logically propelled to the next action. And it happens again and again and again and again. And then the movie's over. And,
1: um, and Jack Ryan is is as the audience is always one step sort of behind um, the, the captain Ramius. I, I think it, it's pretty easy. Like I've seen so many movies at this point that they're throwing a lot of cues out there that tipped, tipped their hand a little too much in my opinion. Right, um, mm-hmm. But that just might be because I've a seen this movie before and I kind of knew the general plot, but I was very, very much noticing the breadcrumbs they were leaving. Like, you know, when they do a close up on the cook after talking about who the saboteur is, I'm like, OK, yeah, I mean, uh-huh. fuck, come on. Um, but but Jack Ryan is always like there's this like little leapfrog game they're playing where, you know, the Captain Ramius is doing a thing that seems confusing uh, to us as an audience. And then Jack Ryan is figuring it out, uh, yeah. you know, and kind of explaining to us why the captain might be doing this thing.
0: So if you haven't seen this film, uh, the the hunt for October's plot is is essentially thus. In 1984, at the very height of the Cold War, the Soviets have created a method of submarine propulsion that renders their nuclear missile subs undetectable to sonar, giving them first-strike capabilities with no way to counter them. The Red October is the first sub of this class to launch and is helmed by the Russians' legendary Captain Marco Ramius. However, shortly after the sub launches... Uh, Moscow orders their entire fleet to see an apparent uh, effort to find Ramius and the Red October. The United States, alarmed by the intelligence they've received about the subs' capabilities and fearful of what may happen with this weapon in the hands of a renegade captain, dispatched CIA analyst Jack Ryan to determine the true purpose of Ramius's going AWOL, which could be anything from defection to starting World War III. And I was wondering when I was watching this, that latter part. Cause like, I think in the novel, it's a bit more of a mystery, um, Hmm. of like, what actually is he intending to do? Um, you know, like, is he actually a renegade? Is he a madman? Is he like, a? a uh, uh, communist extremist that wants to destroy the West and thinks that the United the USSR is just pussyfooting around and he's going to take matters in own, his own hand. Is he defecting? Um, because the movie kind of resolves that in the first act. Like, yeah, and then the tension all becomes: Will he
1: succeed? Instead of yeah, what's he trying to do? Yeah,
0: yeah. You find out like what he's doing, who is on his side, who is not on his side, and what they're going to. Um, and 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 I thought that like that's one of the better that's. One of the great scenes in the film is that uh, you know wardroom scene where they lock the, they they get rid of Tim Curry uh-huh. who is so invaluable as comic relief in this movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they they boot him out and then you know you find out that like these are essentially kind of his adoptive sons and they're all intensely loyal to him, but they also have a bone to pick with the old man because you know he put a little put a little pepper on the ball uh, at the Moscow and they're like, well, why did you do that? um but but by that scene you know exactly what the stakes are and the drama is are the americans going to figure it out in time because it's in their national interest to, to sink this guy before he gets anywhere near the american coast yeah and um, the russians
1: are trying to encourage him to do
0: that and it's in the russians national interest to have the americans help in that and there's right. this like multi-layer game of like spycraft and diplomacy like i really I really love the sparring match that the the national security advisor has with the Russian diplomat, uh-huh. and like how that's like its own little five act play. The jelly bean. The scene is
1: too much, man. It's too much. Yeah, cracks me up. Yeah,
0: and and then by the end of the movie when it's all resolved and you know he's like, oh, there's this other one thing. You know, we we haven't heard from this, and he's like, you know, Yuri, you've lost another submarine. It's just. <laughs> I, I, I fucking love it so much. Yeah. Um, But there's like a thing it's um, and believe it or not, it's like a slightly simplified version of the plot of the book because the book, there's a lot more of like um co uh, cooperation between like the British fleet and the American fleet kind of working together in a nat- very huh. NATO way with like their bases in Greenland to kind of like, you know, de- and this is just, you know, it's just all the American did everything. And it's all in response to the Russian stuff. But, uh, you know, you got to you got to short make a couple shortcuts to bring a book to the film. Yeah. Um,
1: What did you think about Sean Connery's performance? When I uh, the first time they show Sean Connery, he's like he comes into play right away. Right. He's the first character Mm -hmm. that they show. Mm -hmm. And he's speaking Russian. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Like I said, the Egyptian Spaniard is going to try and speak Russian. Uh, mm-hmm. with a Scottish accent right and I here's the thing I don't know how good or bad his Russian accent is Um, I have to imagine it's at least as good as bad as Alec Baldwin's Sean Connery is later in this film <laughs> uh, right but I thought Sean Connery was excellent in this movie mm-hmm. um, and once they get past him speaking Russian and just allay all my fears about that I was in uh, and I was on board with Captain Ramius
0: it's funny because like I read a lot of things about people talking about his Russian accent. I don't think he's attempting one. I think this is like Kevin Costner attempting like a Robin Hood accent or an English accent, I should say. There's there's no Robin Hood accent yeah. or or a Boston accent. It's like he takes a pass at it, but then like at a certain point in the movie, he's just Sean Connery, and yeah. he's just doing his stuff and uh, and and uh, giving his accent a little slap that it needs. And uh, I I think that I, I like. And it's, it's really smart that they do go away from it because I think he would really, I thought he struggled with some of that Russian. Um, but I don't know. There is something too Like, you know, when I think of Sean Connery's performances, he's not often great. He's like great, a great James Bond because he's just kind of playing this suave and sly guy. And he's really good in like, you know, kind of big budget action movies because he's just playing Sean Connery. Um, but there is something great to him. Like I love his little quiet scenes where he has with Jack Ryan, where he takes him to task about his naval books. Uh, I really like his like speech at the end as they're cruising into America's, where he's talking with Sam Neal about what their dreams of of going to America is going to be like. Um, I mean, it's 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 really good, and he's he just all he just completely effortlessly sells this mastery at his task. And like, you know, you look at this guy and it's like, yeah, there's, I have no problem believing 300 dudes to cram into a metal tube and
1: follow this guy unto death. Um, yeah. There's a quiet confidence um, that he portrays in most of his stuff yeah. that, uh, you know, he, he's got a strength of, of character uh, Yeah, as an actor. And I think that comes through in every role. And like you said, I don't think he acts very much. I think he says lines and I think mm-hmm. he, Moves around the, the stage and he, mm-hmm. you know, works with the camera, but he's not really acting. He's just being Sean Connery, which is yeah. enough. Is it like when you're it that guy the role very well? Sure. Just do it.
0: So I want to talk about this twenty thousand dollar hairpiece. Oh, uh, God. Allegedly, he went behind uh, John McTierman's back and
1: had these prop guys add a ponytail to it. What the fuck? We just covered Waterworld where Kevin uh-huh. Costner is spending millions on digital effects and flying a toupee in from Brazil or wherever the fuck what you is know, it with these uh, actors and the vanity
0: there, there's there's a certain there's a certain age a man gets where you got to either yield to the inevitable Look, got, uh, or you try see. you try to go you try to go full denial and uh, apparently <sighs> yeah. he and and so I guess John McTiernan is furious, but he had like gone to the production and like you know gone behind his back. And also, he's like a very powerful, influential actor. And uh, like they did the first two days of, of filming, and uh, Jean Duba, Duba, dude, what's what's this guy's name? The cinematographer, Jean Dubant. Uh, um, he was watching dailies with John, and I guess Sean was over his shoulder, and he's like, "Your ponytail looks like this little limp dick." <laughs> And in his Dutch accent and like the rest of the crew, like that, that inside joke took off and they were like everyone teasing. So like after three days of filming, Sean Connery agreed to have the ponytail cut off and they had to redo all of his scenes from those three days.
1: Is is that a um, Russian thing? Is like, is a ponytail. I don't think Russian any branch of the
0: Russian military would tolerate
1: a ponytail. No. Like that just seems like a bad idea from the jump. Maybe an 18th century. It, like yes. Russian
0: submarine would mm. countenance something like that, a club, the ponytail. But, uh, and I guess that's why, cause like, that's why it cost $20,000. The joke is that like, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a nice wig, but it cost us a lot of money to reshoot and redo Gosh, and do all yeah. this stuff. Okay. Um, but otherwise it's a, it's a hell of a hairpiece.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't um, even guess that it was a hairpiece, frankly,
0: but it's funny. I thought he, he's really good. He's got really good chemistry with, uh, Alec Baldwin, but, it's mm. also interesting that like the protagonist antagonists don't meet until like late in the third act. Um, yeah. it's all like intellectual and out of remove, mm. which feels very much like spycraft. you know, you're, sure. you're making moves and stuff and the other person's making moves and you hope things meet in the middle or, you know, don't. And, uh, I thought that was the, the, the way they did that was really excellent.
1: And I think they, they've got great chemistry there between, uh, Sam Neill and. Captain oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't even know Sam Neill's character's name, uh, but he's Boradov. Borodov. Sure. Uh, he's also fantastic <laughs> in this. Yeah. It's like slightly I, he's, suspicious um, of his captain, um, but, you know, willing to go along. And then I, I love the moments where the captain will just give him a look and he'll be like, ah, I see what's going on. Like, especially that right. one burn only that that thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, that That's a really good scene. That Morse code scene is maybe my favorite scene of the whole movie.
0: Oh, yeah. And they, man, he also does, like, he sells a lot because, like, um, Captain Ramius just doesn't ever react. Like, there's, we talked about how, like, uh, Jack Ryan is freaking out when they dove to 1,000 meters deep. Um, But there's things that Ramius does that scares the other sub drivers. But he never, ever, like, when he's going plus 45 seconds in Red Route 1... Uh, There's like just a, this is why I think it's like, yeah, Sean Connery was really good. Like he had this like little, like you can tell that he's keeping an internal track in his own mind. Mm -hmm. And when he finally gives the order to move, like there's almost like this, like he himself doesn't know that he. That or, or uh, kind of worries that he's fucked up. There's like a tremble to his lips or a hesitation where he's just kind of like flying by the seat of his pants, but you'll never know that. And then there's always Sam Neil, like when the other submariners are freaking out about what the fuck's going on, to be like, hey, you know what, boys? This is all training exercise. If they were trying to kill us, we'd be dead, right? You yeah, know? And right. what the fuck do they know? They're a bunch of green recruits, conscripts. It's not a volunteer Navy. I mean, trained um, to think that
1: their military organization is infallible. So yeah. of course, yeah. How could they possibly under, the
0: light. <laughs> they're serving under a legend, a hero, mm-hmm. a guy who's trained every other captain in the, the Russian uh, submarine service. So yeah. um, and I think they continue to do smart. I will you you're talking about the transition between Russian and English. I've never I I think I've seen a couple other movies do this since. But this is the first one where they had this guy speaking Russian and they zoom in and zoom in and zoom in on his mouth. And then they flip to English and. And I didn't know this until I just did research, but they flipped on the word Armageddon, which is the same in both English and Russian. Okay. So there's like even like, this is like a maximum clever scene. Um, And I don't know, like I think this movie would have been effective with, you know, Russian with uh, Russian subtitles. If you want to play, play a bunch of English, Australian and Scottish actors to, you know, do bad Russian accents, that's fine too. But it's a great way to blend like the realism versus like accessibility to the audiences and then they yeah. also never break it because when the americans and russians first meet that's reverses and they're speaking russian because of fucking course they would except for the, some of them you know are bilingual because it's wise to know the ways of one enemy. so uh i, I like I think the that's concept brilliant. of
1: that shot better than i like the execution of it i think the zoom in really is a little weird um hmm yeah I, and I've seen. But you got to do done. something, right? It, absolutely, you have to do something. Um, and I don't know what yeah. I would do in place of it. It just feels strange to me. Um, it is stagey for sure because it's it's yeah. definitely a, an affectation. Oh yeah, it, it absolutely breaks that fourth wall, and you you know you're looking at a shot that's intentionally shot to make you to make you understand or feel something. Um, yeah. The other movie that I've seen that did this extremely well is Thirteenth Warrior. I don't know if you saw that mm-hmm. Antonio Banderas yep. um, movie where he's learning a new language around a campfire and they're just kind of cutting back and forth between him and a bunch of other people uh, who speak a language he doesn't speak and he's just picking things up. And over the course of this one minute montage, maybe you Mm -hmm. come to understand uh, that he's coming to understand that language. And then the rest of the movie is just filmed uh, in English. Yeah. I thought that was really expertly done too, but it was, It took more time and it's a different thing, right? He's not learning a new language here. It's just, this is a a very fourth wall breaky kind of thing.
0: Yeah. I wonder if you could do like the train, like if they're talking on the phone, you know, they got those underwater telephones and like on one end, it's, it's Russian. And then when they hang up, it's, it's English. And then like, I don't think the audience would even know because this drew a lot of attention to what they were doing. Um, It does. Yeah. But, uh, I I I I thought I thought they it, again it's it's very stagey it's very noticeable but I thought it's a pretty slick
1: way especially when uh-huh. I found out they pivoted on the the Armageddon word. And I'm um, I'm happy they did it too because I didn't really yeah. want to hear Sean Connery doing mediocre to bad Russian for the rest oh, of the movie.
0: Oh no for sure. I think another thing that um was interesting is that uh, they. So I I mentioned that like the Hunt for an October novel has got a lot of the details that this movie's missing, but this movie does a good way of suggesting those details, which is both rewarding for a book fan and also I think like get things across subliminally. Like when you're introduced to the sonar operators, uh, especially Jonesy, you kind of get with this like they're, they're telling this humorous story about him fucking up with like playing uh pa- uh P- what paganini or some kind of opera stuff through the 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 boat's sonar system and you kind of get an idea that uh, he's okay. unorthodox and weird and kind of bookish and like maybe smarter than you would give credit for like a you know uh uh enlisted seaman um and they also pay that off with like, you know, uh, so he's got this on his service record. And then when this sub disappears off his scope and he's like, and I thought I heard singing like that feeds into this commanding officer is kind of like, is Jonesy just kind of crazy or what? Um, the way they characterize the, the subboat captains, like they have these big oversized glasses. They kind of look brainy and nerdy and not like John Wayne, which reflects the fact that like um, to be a nuclear submarine captain you have to have uh a college you not only a college degree but they they send you to like a nuclear physicist school yeah it's where intense. you're trained it's a very intense program and these people are very smart and very highly educated and they're not like you know balls and bluster they're they're very you know quiet and bookish and precise and mm-hmm. intelligent and i felt like scott glenn with his performance and his, the, the costume, you get all, even if you don't know it, like, Oh, this isn't like your, you know, your big dumb meathead, you know, ballsy, uh, you know, military guy.
1: Um, yeah. the in, way in that contrast to Sean Connery's hardly acting in any of his movies, I think Scott Glenn, right. Yeah. You know, cause he's what the dad in leftovers, uh, he's uh-huh. Kevin, Kevin Garvey senior, Kevin Garvey. Yeah. And he's a lunatic in that he's totally different. Um, Right. So I really appreciated him seeing him, you know, not like it doesn't feel like he's a ton younger, but also it feels mm-hmm. like his character is so much more reserved. Yeah.
0: And they do a lot of other show not tell, like uh, when you first see the Russian admiral of the fleet and he's walking in to his office and he's like people are saluting him and giving him all these honors and he says, yeah, yeah 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 uh-huh. and he sits down and like he's getting then like this guys pouring coffee he's not giving a shit and then his eyes light up when he sees marco's letter uh just like that like 60 they're not telling you you know this isn't a big like cut to high command of russia tearing their hair out and ordering like they they cut from that him spilling his tea to you know the nato forces saying like holy shit what is russia doing they're scrambling their whole fleet that's they they tell you the situation right then and there and then Jack uh, Ryan re-
1: yeah goes you know for the people who didn't quite pick up on it or or right. it just adds more information um, that we need yeah, for yeah. later in the movie which I liked
0: right and i think jack ryan they did a very good job of characterizing him where he's kind of young arrogant hot-headed but very very smart um, you know, he, they gave him this characterization of the sphere of flying, which uh, feeds in they had little breadcrumbs about like, what is this guy's deal that then when like Fred Thompson comes in as the admiral on the enterprise and explains to him his service record in like 15, 20 seconds, like it gives you it just keeps on adding layers and depths of detail mm-hmm. uh, to his character. And then it also it gives you him a personal arc. Because he's this uptight guy, this fear of flying, um, you know, maybe a little bit of a control freak, and he goes through this ex- this crazy experience, and then on the way up, flying back home, he's sleeping like a baby. Um, it's just little shit like that that I think elevates this movie um, and makes it like just a really, really entertaining and exciting, you know, yarn. <laughs> yeah.
1: Here's what's new in premium content for
0: our club members this week jim's away so the producer will play that's right it's time for another fabulous lunch with talitha and aaron not only do we have an alternate host lineup we also are doing it on an alternate day lunch will be served on wednesday all that plus the usual bullshit for me served live or catch the podcast version out later that day
1: we're about a month out from the kickoff of badass fest six so get your tickets now while available at baldmove.com live Come watch an outrageously badass mystery film with us. Grab another snack and beverage from the theater's fully stocked bar. Then get back in your seat for a live recording of the accompanying podcast. Get more info and tickets at baldmove.com slash live. If you want more Bald Move in your life,
0: head over to support.baldmove.com to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content, plus
1: ad free feeds. Uh, So real quick, I want to switch tracks here to uh, some of the technical production details. This is a movie that came out in 1990. Um, And for people who maybe either were not alive or not a movie watching age back then, there was not a lot of digital effects you could do. Um, Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what you're seeing. the, The vast majority, like, yeah, you could edit films like computers and do compositing and stuff, but you're not getting effects. And so like when you see a uh uh deck where Sean Connery is walking on the top of a sub in an ocean a lot of that is going to be real construction um they had essentially a full size uh submarine above the waterline that they had built mm-hmm. um so that these people could walk around on top and you know that came in super handy i don't, I don't know in 1990 you could have done this any other way like evacuating that crew off of that sub oh yeah you needed this full scale model um sure And I was curious how they did that because, you know, the the thing is so old. But yeah, I guess it was just they built a lot of shit. They had five uh, studios or five sets that they built, um, Mm -hmm. or I guess lots that they were using where they built like the insides of submarines and stuff because you can't really film inside a real submarine, whether it's in dry dock or anything, because, yeah, you can't move around like they're almost like uh, the ISS or something or a space shuttle Mm -hmm. in, in how cramped they are. Um, and Sean and for Connery, very similar reasons. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it's very expensive to, to, space is at a premium in those, uh, yeah. situations. So yeah, I even saw interviews with Sean Connery where he was talking about how hard it was to work even in the sets that they built, uh, right. because they wanted to, you know, realistically model what a submarine might feel like, but leave enough room to, you know, pull out walls and get shots they need. And he said it was very mm. claustrophobic, and uh, I can understand that. Although, I think I'd be pretty good on a submarine. I don't... I have a little I've bit of claustrophobia, always. but I, I can go for long times uh, not seeing... Uh, you know, I, I think I could go for a while not seeing dry land. Um, right. My my environment, I, <laughs> I'm not too worried about that. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I spend most of my time in a basement, so... I've always fantasized about, like, that. if, if I served
0: in a... Uh, a a branch of the military, Submariners seem like it's the coolest job and suits my personality type. Because the other thing is, it's also known as like, it's harsh because like you're out to sea, especially on a, like a nuclear, like what they call the boomers, the nuclear missile subs. Uh, your mission is to go out into the ocean and disappear for six months at a time. Yeah. And then you go back in the the port and you switch out crew with the, the B team and then they do it for six months and you go back. But like those six months, you're going to have very limited access to like media, family and friends, uh, and but to make up for that, the Navy like goes all out and like you have like lobster dinners and like food like you'd be on a cruise line. Uh, they have huge libraries of like uh, back in the day VCR tapes and records and CDs. And now I'm sure it's like even more gonzo with digital, mm-hmm. but like video game stuff like they they uh, because you're you're deprived a lot like you have to they they space is a premium. So most enlisted men what they call like hot bunk. Mm-hmm. Where like you share a bed with another person, and when you go to sleep, it's probably still warm from them getting up because they don't have the space for everyone to have their own, you know, um so, but I was like, yeah, when I look at those trade offs, like you get a lot more freedom, um there's a lot more like i I guess the like uh obviously personal fitness and grooming standards are a lot laxer on the boats, sure, uh, Can't you have know, a, like a gym lot of the on a boat. A lot of the hierarchical bullshit is not as, as strictly enforced because, um, you know, everyone's taking it seriously. You're fucking 500 feet below the waters. If someone fucks yeah. up, you're dead.
1: Um, and I think you have a lot of a fair amount of downtime, too. You know, it's not like yes. you're constantly on duty. Right. Because right, you right. may be, you know, the the technician like like that uh, mechanic. Right. Um, mm-hmm. The engineer whatever he is, uh, he's mm-hmm. most of the time not going to be doing much of anything. He might be supervising. Yeah uh the repair of something if it breaks, but he's there just in case. Um right. So it probably has a lot of downtime. Yeah. I, I think um, an aircraft carrier would also be pretty sweet to be on. Yeah. Because then you get that land I and hear. sea sort of thing. Sure, sure. Or, or plus there's air air lots of running. space.
0: There's lots of space on an aircraft carrier to get away. Yeah. Unlimited hot wa- fresh hot water for showers, uh uh-huh. because of the nuclear reactors, like there's a lot of a lot of attractive things about a, a
1: nuclear aircraft carrier too. Sure. Um, uh, some, you... some of the other details on the production. Yeah, this thing had a thirty million dollar budget, and I guess it, the the production was pretty on budget. So no big surprises, uh, other than maybe the twenty thousand dollar hairpiece. Uh, now.
0: Every time you see that kind of budget with a uh, a film that gets this much participation from the U.S. military, the actual budget of this film was probably three or four times that because the the mm-hmm. Navy loaned them the USS Enterprise, they loaned them the USS Dallas, they loaned them this frigate, and like you know, for weeks at a time, the cr- lots of the sub the 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 extras are actually submarine officers and and enlisted crewmen. Nice. Uh, Because like uh, I I read that the the Navy was hoping that this would do for the Navy what uh, or do for submarine recruitment what Top Gun did for like pilot (laughs) aircraft. I fucking knew you were gonna say that. (laughs) Yeah, because of course so. Uh, But I, I don't know that it actually did do that, but that was what they're hoping. So they gave him lots and lots of free support. And and uh, but but yeah, still I mean, it's 30 million dollars. It looks incredible. It's
1: so much harder to do for submarines or boats of any kind. Right. Because like, sure, it, you know, with Top Gun, you're flying it at, at mock speeds and like mm-hmm. doing loops and flybys and shit. You're not doing much of that with subs, Uh, yeah. although there are a couple of really cool scenes that we'll talk about. Uh, but this thing made 200 million globally. So easily. Uh, it was like the number
0: one mo- movie of the year, wasn't it? Or it was no- like number in the six
1: top- in box office, um, uh, okay. terms, but yeah, I don't know. Dances with wolves seems like it just crushed everything that year. Oh, that was the same year. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was actually nominated for. This was nominated for three uh, Oscars. It was nominated for Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Sound Effects Editing. It won on Best Sound Effects Editing, but it was beat by Dances with Wolves for everything else. Mm. I'm actually
0: somewhat surprised that Sean Connery didn't get like a nod for Supporting Actor because he's got huge name recognition, been in a lot of, made a lot of money for Hollywood, and this is like a legitimately good role that he's got. Mm-hmm. You know, from a nuts and bolts, you know steak and potatoes kind of acting way. Yeah. Um, Did you see how they they filmed the underwater scenes? Because I thought that was very interesting. How they filmed them? No. Yeah. So like they were
1: models, but...
0: They were models, but they were not underwater. They had these things uh, on computer-controlled rigs. Like, the Red October was mounted to 12 different wires that allow it to tilt and roll and, like, turn... And they suspended these in these enormous tanks uh, that they filled full of fog, like some kind of particle smoke. And they filmed through that. And that's how they got. um, I saw Roger Ebert bitching about the underwater being dark and murky, but like Mm -hmm. that's what it looks like that deep in the ocean. And I thought it gave it like a really creepy, spooky, kind of ghostly feel um, to see like these massive machines so close to one another. But the other one doesn't know that the other's there. Like it, it, it really added to tension and that technique, um, saved them a lot of money, gave them a lot of control. Um, also like they could only film it from one direction because the tank wasn't set up for, they could turn around. So anytime like, uh, you got the right October going left to right instead of right to left, they just film it the one way and flip it. Yeah. Um, but I thought they looked really uh, that 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 technique they use looks exactly like, like what I'd think a submarine underneath the water would look like. Yeah, um, with very little compositing. The only time I saw the co- compositing being kind of sloppy is when they tried to put in like those um, countermeasures, the bubblers, oh, okay. um, or some of the like undersea mountain range stuff looked a little. Uh, and then all of the greens, all the blue screen or uh, what are, What do they In call that? that? Final the,
1: scene floating on the river. The rear yeah.
0: projection shit. Yeah. Um, that all that bad. stuff. Pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you I think, I think they're filming day for night or even on a stage and they're compositing it and it's 1990. But uh, yeah. that stuff really jumped out at uh, on, on the vert. The other thing that's really disappointing. Um, and I tried to get, I got the, I, I rented the UHD version of this movie. Um, Man digital formats cannot do gradients. And a lot of the underwater stuff was really bad because for that reason, like you can see just giant banding of colors and stuff. And if you see that in film, um, it's much, much smoother. So that was kind of, you know, disappointing when I was watching it on a streaming copy. But what are you going to do? I want to talk about how accessible this movie I felt like made submarine warfare tactics, because I think the average um, person When they think of submarines, they think of like pinging. And shooting torpedoes, and that's it. But Mm -hmm. here, it's like you've got this full spectrum. You got like um, aircraft deploying sonar boys and and forming sonar nets. They talk about the subs blind spots, that like when it's moving forward, its engines and its propeller makes noise, so it can't hear anything behind it. So that's like you know getting on your six and staying there is a big part of like you know uh, submarine warfare. So Um, I assumed
1: that that wouldn't be true for this caterpillar drive that they have. I. think you are correct except for um
0: it's something about like the 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 submarines sonar is in its nose so okay, the so entire just... hull like hides like there is a, a very narrow spectrum where they they can't hear and also why wouldn't they also um, put
1: sonar in the back on this particular ship
0: that's a good question um because this is fictitious like there is no hydromagnetic magnetic drive magnetic drive um and it does have screws uh the other thing you're supposed to understand is I think a lot of this, they, they get like towed sonar arrays that are like, they actually release on like long stringers that go behind it. They I don't know how them, that interfe- yeah. if, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it because it can interfere with the screws and whatnot. But the yeah. other thing is um, the American submarines are just very, very quiet. Like if they're... Um, like when they go into zero, like zero silent, they're going to silent running, like they're holes in the ocean. Yeah. So even if you have like active So so there's a difference. In active sonar, which is what the ping you, you you hear, that's like the you know that's like seeing everything in high def color. But what mostly submarines do is try to make passive contact, which is they're listening for engine noises, crew, so like you know a cook dropping a pot in the galley. Uh, can be heard for miles and miles. Mm. Um, thing like like sloppy things like that. They try to you know uh, pick up and distinguish between the background noise. Singing and a Russian lot of national the national
1: anthem can be heard.
0: Right, right, <laughs> uh, and a lot of the um, technological sophistication and like the last fifty years of submarines has been in that. Like how much noise you put out versus how sensitive your ears can be. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you can master both those technologies, you're invisible and you know everything you need to launch a torpedo and you don't have to do the active sonar. I imagine there's probably um, a lot like, of
1: AI involved now um, with oh, yeah. out know, you know, whale sounds, uh, magma streams or whatever the hell they're talking about. Um,
0: and in this era, they were just, you, you, they even mentioned that they had this new sophisticated computer that was based on a size seism- seismology experiment. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, like more and more, like the obviously it's probably even better than a so, uh, trained sonarman, um, yeah. and they, they like the the crazy Ivans where the sub, you know, the Russian skippers would stop and do a slow turn to like to turn their most sensitive equipment to try to detect someone from behind, and like what a cat and mouse game that is. My absolute um,
1: favorite move in this entire thing is mm-hmm. when he he bum rushes the torpedoes that are coming at them before they yes. can get their their mechanisms online. Yes, uh, and they just bounce, you know, effectively off the hole. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I thought that was super cool because I didn't it even cool realize I, that was a thing you could do.
0: And it was such a, it was such a, was such a baller move, is because Ramius just refused to explain himself. Yeah. He's just like, I, I look, I taught the book on this shit. I know the safety protocols, and I also know this is a one shot thing because this mm-hmm. other guy is going to be ripping them out, so this never happens to me him, which ends up dooming him. Yeah. Um which I you know, that's the other thing is like I, I know the climax of the book does not end in an accidental submarine or a torpedo detonation. I'm pretty sure the Red October in the book, you know what? I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, if you if if for anyone who wants to read the book because it's a it's a great one and like I said the book goes even to crazier detail because the one I was talking to you is um, like in the early stages when the Russians are um, like trying desperately to to get a get ahead of Ramius one of those attack boat skippers is running their reactor like 110 percent and Clancy spends a whole chapter explaining how like a tiny manufacturing defect in the reactor that only manifests itself when it's running at 110%, like loosens a, uh, washer, they get stuck in a coolant pipe, which then causes the reactor to do this. And the chief engineer is trained to scram his reactor this way, but like, it's kind of like a a mini Chernobyl that's happening a thousand feet below the ocean. And, um, as a result of all these things, like, um, like like the chief engineer does the thing that's he's trained for but it's wrong in this particular instance and yeah. that like causes the reactor to m- literally melt its way through the floor of this fucking submarine and then the captain who thinks it's like a normal scram operation does something that ends up flipping the submarine upside down and like you it, he, the whole chapter like details exactly what happens to that submarine as it passes its structure you know like crush depth and it's it's like really cool but like you know, wh- wh- where does that fit in the movie? But there's like a dozen scenes like that in the book where it's just insane technical detail of why the thing's happening. Like there might even be... I'm pretty sure that thing where Ramius uh, turns into the the torpedo and, and, and charges at it is like
1: done in like crazy technical manual type detail too. Um, yeah, I think those scenes uh, for the book, you know, serve to raise the tension because you know mm-hmm. when people are doing these maneuvers, the things that could go wrong um like Mm -hmm. i mentioned uh, you know being like the crush depth stuff um Mm -hmm. when you're going deeper into the ocean how does that affect the submarine and all that and what should we be thinking when he's doing that the movie i don't think needs that stuff um right it's, it's not as much about like that tension as it is the tension of is this man going to succeed in the defection that he's trying to pull off
0: And it's set up like a pressure cooker. Like I read that like um, the average shot length in this movie is seven seconds, which, you know, without you even detecting it, just gives it this kind of relentless feel. That's obvious. There's a Hmm. bunch of long shots, but like there's also just a lot of like one second, one second, cut to this, cut to this, cut to this guy's frantic face. Hmm. And I think they did a good job of showing like what a pressure cooker this situation could be. Like, you know, they had Fred Thompson's Admiral. You know, like after, um, you know, the the Russians and Americans had a near run and a damaged one, the American uh, airplanes and it goes to land on the Enterprise and it, you know, just belly flops and destroys itself. And he says, this is going to keep happening, keep happening. Someone's going to die. Someone's going to get sloppy. Someone's going to shoot a shot. And then we're going to be in World War Three, like the psychological and physical pressures of when you're you know two superpowers doing this crazy operation in the middle of the Atlantic. Um I felt like they just really sold that like that that tension but also the professionalism you know that like mm-hmm. this is all fucking crazy but everyone's there this is what they've trained for you know literally in some of their cases all their lives um and so that, it feels very professional and competent despite the
1: the craziness Yeah and all that tension I thought was interesting given like the political uh situation here you know the americans mm-hmm. desperately want to get their hands on this technology and they almost need to you know because this is a first strike weapon that they've tried to build and failed to build they need to know right. how this thing was made so that they can either a build their own deterrence or uh B at least be able to maybe figure out how to detect these things mm-hmm. and and throughout the movie you're the question is brought up, how is this going to work? Because like we need the Russians to believe that we don't have this thing. Um And, you know, they use some some brilliant stuff with like a radiation scare and everything to get the crew off the boat. But then you've got a crew who sees that the boat went under the water, but and, and would assume, OK, he's going to scuttle this thing at the end But then there's a battle that happens and he clearly hasn't scuttled Uh it. And then they see this big explosion of the boat. So maybe they think, okay, the boat exploded. But the Russians would know that their own boat was in proximity to this. And they would also know that their own boat is missing after that. Uh And they know that the Americans have another boat within proximity to this entire battle. And they should be able to see what's happening here. And there's this like line somewhere that they're dancing on both sides just like, right over the edges of. Yeah. And I think ultimately it shakes out in a satisfying way, but, man, uh-huh. you really have to have some balls to sit in front of that diplomat and say, we got no idea what happened to that boat. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, that's the thing is, like... We had our like, most I,
1: advanced I, ship out there monitoring the right. ocean from, like, uh-huh. a few hundred yards away. We got no fucking uh-huh. idea what happened uh-huh. to
0: it. It's it's, re- it's real deep, Dimitri. Who the hell can even say? <laughs> right. um But th- that's the funny thing is, like, all those little duels between the NSA, uh, the National Security Advisor, and the, the Russian diplomat. The, the, the thing that's unspoken is, like, they both know they're full of shit at right. every step of the way. Yeah. Um. But it's like, what can you... You know in your bones what's happening, but what can you prove? What uh-huh. can you go into a security council of the UN and actually lay, like, projector slides and actually... Because, you know, you're going to accuse us of stealing your boat? Mm-hmm. You, every th- 300 sailors testified that they got off the Red October. Marco Ramius fought us, and then they scuttled the thing, and he's going to get the, the hero. I mean, that's one of... I think the 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 resolution of this plot is so fucking smart because Mm -hmm. the other uh, interesting thing about the Russian boats is they do have political officers like imagine like on an American vessel. If there was someone there that you only had one party like the Democratic Party Mm -hmm. it's the only legal party. And you had an officer that's whole job is to make sure the captain and the the officers don't ever do anything that's against the party platform on pain of execution and death. And how do you get rid of that guy? How do you get rid of the KGB officers who are then that he doesn't even know about that's there to try to keep the boat from falling in that hands? How do you get the crew off? I think that's so funny. And Tim Curry just does so much heavy lifting. He's doing. He's such a dope. Like when Ramius does like and he's reluctantly like uh, what's who said anything about sabotage?
1: He's like, Captain. And then (laughs) when he says the run around, it's so good.
0: Oh, it's so good. And he then he's like, Oh, you'll you'll get the order of linen for this. And they cut the Sean Connery. It's just so funny. And it's the way just so
1: funny. Sam Neill is coming in there, you know, disagreeing with the captain and agreeing with Tim Curry in order to make him think that, right. you know, he's what he scored points on this and now they're gonna yeah, do yeah, it. So yeah. It's it's great. I love it.
0: It's it's funny. And like I God, I love Tim Curry, and this is like one of my favorite roles because he's just allowed to you know, be really good and funny, and like the co- like the comic relief. There's very little comic relief. There's uh, uh, James Earl Jones kind of like demented glee at Jack Ryan doing something that no politician would ever do. Like I told you to speak your mind, Jack. But Jesus, yeah. I want to get out of here and leave you alone with this guy. That's really funny. Um, I, I James Earl Jones is really good too. Like in a very small role to just sell like this Admiral Greer, who is our one of the my favorite characters in the. the uh, Tom Clancy books, and he's in most of them, um, but like him, just kind of like being the shadowy guy who's you know goes there and blows up a missile and says, literally, you know, you, I was never here, and you've never, you don't know who I am, and uh, like I just just genuinely enjoy the spycraft and like the like. There's a whole bunch of things like that are microcosms of that diplomat and the NSA guy. That's like uh, where there's conversations like, okay. Sure, we all know that this is going to happen, but let's, for the sake of argument, say we want to steal this boat. How would we make it happen? And mm-hmm. they talk about all like the impossibility of all. And that just, I think, is really uh, cool. And also like Jack Ryan, who, you know, spends half the movie just bemoaning the fact that he's in this situation. Then takes these crazy high risks, like when uh, they're trying to transition, you know, transfer him to the Dallas and they're doing this complicated thing. The, the helicopter is about to run out of fuel. He ditches himself into the North Atlantic, almost freezes to death, mm-hmm. uh, which lands him into the, sh- uh, the shit list of the captain. So now he's got a he's a kind of river, but he's a buckaroo. He's a buckaroo. Uh huh he's a riverboat gambler. Like, you know, he, he has his ass pull about the crazy ry- uh, Ivan at the bottom of the hour. That was just a coin flip, but yeah. it's the advantage he needs. And the Scott Glenn's not even pissed when he gets taken advantage of. Cause like, well, you got, you know, you got some balls kid. Uh, all that stuff just, I thought really,
1: really worked well for me. And, and it makes sense for that character. And then the plot overall, because like he's taking these risks, not because he's a risk taker, but he has to, I mean like the, yeah. the, The unspoken, uh, behind the scenes sort of thing here is if the Americans don't get this boat, they're Mm -hmm. right back to where they were before the boat even existed, which is not knowing that this fucking thing exists. Uh, At least, Well, now they know that it exists, but they still have no way to, to to defend against it. Right. Right. So Jack Ryan is essentially trying to, by putting himself, you know, at risk here, um, Ensure that America has a way to defend against this new weapon, this new super weapon that yeah. could wipe them off the face of the planet uh, yeah. at, before they even have time to react. And they
0: do a good job of showing the stakes for him because they establish, you know, he's got a young family. He's got a kid that's relying on him. Um, he's got a very comfortable career that he enjoys, and he's putting all that on the line for the good of the country and, you know, broadly speaking, the world, because nobody wants World yeah. War Three, right? Sure. Um, so all that stuff, again, they established those stakes in, like, the first few minutes of the movie.
1: Um, and I think they do a it- really great job, too, with sort of... You know, you talked about all the different things they show about the technical battles of the submarine, but there's uh, there's something else they do here, which is really interesting to me, which is they get the captains to switch ships at some point like they get the captain yeah. of the dallas onto the red october right captaining that boat which to uh-huh. me was just a brilliant move and i don't know if this would be realistic this is like patrick stewart uh, as john luke Picard going on an away mission sure 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 maybe you don't do that um maybe you don't put the captain in that danger but at the same time it was a really good plot device to get him on that boat um, yeah. And, you know, Sean Connery's is... in the depths trying to fight this this cook who, you know, is a saboteur. And then you've got Alec Baldwin at the controls of this ship at one point uh-huh. trying to steer it through some pretty complex maneuvers in the middle sure. of a battle. It's you just don't really have to steer
0: good. a boat, especially. Yeah. Because you're, you're missing you know, your whole... crew.
1: Like, yeah the the whole most things down
0: here don't react too well to bullets like you've got that like because I which I think is bullshit I'm certain you could unload a minigun on the, any of these submarine these these nuke <laughs> tubes and nothing would happen but Maybe, you know I'm the audience doesn't know that it, it, it causes a lot of and that, that shot like that's a great shot of Jack Ryan like panning up and you see just a rows and rows and rows of death that yeah. is the bulk of these submarines like these missile submarines like they're huge but it's not like for crew space it's to hold all these fucking continent killers that they're, they're 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 uh hiding and you know yeah both sides have them uh but i thought yeah all that stuff really works well for me um what else uh i, I got a couple other so there's a couple of apocrypha to this movie that like i think is this is stuff that I remember from like Indiana Jones commentary and maybe some interviews and also some just drunken jokes we used to make. But Uh there's one real fact, which is well attested, which Sean Connery is a sweater. And whenever he has, you know, like uh, this, this came from like the Indiana Jones bonus material, but like anytime that you see him from the waist up, he's not wearing pants. If he's wearing like a tweed jacket and a hat and you're seeing him from the waist up, he's not wearing pants. Yeah, and he's probably got a fan blowing on his junk because the man, like the man, just is like, well, you know, I can uh, get this in a few takes, or you can mop me down in between. What do you want to do, boyo? And <laughs> um, I thought that I saw in the John McTiernan commentary track for this that he attested that as well. Does not happen. Um, also, I thought that someone made the comment that Sean Connery doesn't stage. Mo- so most people, when you have to have a scene like in that wardroom where they're eating, you know, at, you have to do 20 takes. You don't usually eat the food. You know, you you pretend that right. you spit it out. You, you take, uh, you stage eat, you know, because who the hell can eat however many pork chops you'd have to plow through. <laughs> yeah. But. And there's something in this scene where you watch Sean Connery and he's just tearing into these pork chops, and there's like his lips are greasy, and you can kind of see some of the grease running in his beard. I think this is just a joke we made, but I I thought as a fact that the that one of the things is that Sean Connery takes his pants off to act, and he refuses to stage eat. You sit him, you sit in front of him a pork chop. He's going to eat that fucking pork chop, and so and in after this movie, three takes, you're going to need another one.
1: And so in this movie, yeah. he's pantsless eating pork chops in this scene where Sam Neill and the rest of them are sitting around you know staring at him sort of wide-eyed right
0: yeah like look at this man just plowing through these port like look at the the, the, this is impressive um yeah i was kind of shocked that that apparently stuff i just made up in my head because i tried to source it i tried so hard to watch the commentary track i read a whole bunch of interviews i couldn't find so that was that's just a joke you and i make so i mean the the pants thing is true the pants thing is part of the
1: indiana jones last crusade commentary
0: and I'm almost certain that he would do that move in this movie because those Russian uniforms look hot and this is a cramped set and yeah. you know, Ramus cannot be sweating like a sex worker in church. Uh, uh <laughs> um so no, he's probably got his in pants those off.
1: those airship scenes um that he's in. Yes. Right? In in yeah, Last yeah, Crusade. Yeah. That's yeah. where that commentary is.
0: Yeah. Um So that that unfortunately is not true. I want to talk about the Gates. Do you have something else? Because I also want to talk about this Gates McFadden detail. Yeah, do it. Because this kind of is interesting that like this kind of pairs into that uh, uh, movie. We just the the documentary Chaos on the Bridge that you found out that like Gates McFadden had a few notes for the production staff and they fired her over it Mm -hmm. uh, and replaced her with another doctor. Um, So she filmed this in her gap year and she agreed to do it because uh, Kathy Ryan is a much bigger part of like, for example, Patriot Games which is going to be the next one that they um, make. Um, so she's like, well, OK, I'll do this. And I, I guess she had more scenes that they cut. Just essentially, she just walks in and says, Jack, you're going to be late. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like signed on to this to do the the Patriot Games. Well, they wanted Harrison Ford to be Jack Ryan in this movie. And he was too expensive. So they got Alec Baldwin, which I think is the perfect Jack Ryan. And I'm still pissed off that this didn't work out because he would have aged into Jack Ryan beautifully. And he Mm -hmm. would, you know, Jack Ryan would be a much bigger cultural figure had they done this. But then when they wanted him to do Patriot games, I guess Alec Baldwin hardballed them. And, you know, they said, like, I guess one executive remarked for the money that he's wanted, we could go get Harrison Ford. And then they're like, well, let's go get Harrison Ford. And Harrison Ford agreed to do it. Hmm. When they did that, they decided. Well, since we're recasting Harrison Ford and he's a little bit older, let's recast Kathy Ryan too. So Gates McFadden got fucked out of uh, oh. her much larger role in Patriot By Alec Games. Baldwin. Yes, that yes. Sucks. So like, poor Miss McFadden seems like she has been black, You know, like behind the eight ball on many, many Hollywood situations that are not her fault at all. And I felt, I felt really sorry. That uh, she got she got done dirty by that.
1: Yeah, I mean um, she is owed an apology by Alec Baldwin, but also can I say thank you Alec Baldwin for getting her fired from these movies because we would not have true. Gates McFadden we back in Star Trek: back. The Next Generation, and we would have maybe had yeah. Pulaski for another seven. Well, know, she was. Five, I, six I feel years, like so. they
0: the the Doctor would have been like the chief engineer in season one. It just been okay. Uh, yeah, you know, just just been a, a new chief medical officer every single time.
1: Um, not good. Uh, there's one other scene that I want to talk about that I thought was just really cool, really impressive. And I have to imagine, like, sudden decompression will do this, um, hmm. the release of this much air. But when that sub blows up, I, it's like cal- lev or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, that explosion of air coming up from the depths that you see is really fucking impressive. Like, I can't imagine mm-hmm. being, you know, in a raft or whatever as those crew members and seeing that happen. And just thinking yeah. anything other than, oh, my God. <laughs> that's incredible.
0: Yeah, that these went down. There's a couple of, um, like, when the Dallas uh, goes to the deck, uh, emergency blows, like, it is wild to see something that big in real life fly out of the water like that. Yeah. Like, put put whales to shame. Uh-huh. Um, and also, there's a couple other scenes that, like, uh, when Ramius has to kill the political officer, I thought they did a really good job of showing like this political officer has no idea Mm -hmm. like this, this like confusion and horror of like, uh, you know, you snapped his neck. So like, uh, it's not like in the movies where you just lights out, like your body stills not done dying and your brain gets to sit there and enjoy the ride while you can do nothing about it. And like how fucking horrific that is. Um, but, uh, yeah, the 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 actual shots of like the the crew struggling in the the North Atlantic, and I, I thought those were just like I just loved I I love shit about having to do with the ocean and the dangers of it, and that stuff is just
1: like I said, pornography to me. So I was I was eating it up. You mentioned that political officer. Uh, I don't know mm. if this is just a common Russian uh, surname, but his name is uh-huh. Putin. Did they yeah. did they mean to do anything with that? Because I'm thinking like 1990. No, Putin was like some probably 21-year-old
0: KGB officer just working his way up the ranks at the end. I would have thought, yeah. yeah.
1: So it's got to be just, you know, that's a fairly common surname, right?
0: Yeah, it'd be like if the Russians made a movie about American military and one of their officers was Ronald, you know? Like, oh my God, <laughs> did they know that Right. Re- no, Reagan, it's just yeah. like, you know, you got a you gotta name. um, huh. But, uh Yeah, and you know, this is the high watermark for the Jack Ryan movies. There's not like I, some of them are okay movies unto themselves, but they have they are almost universally have nothing to do with the book that they're based on. Uh, They fuck up the characterizations. Um, I don't think Harrison Ford is a particularly good Jack Ryan. Uh, Ben Affleck is actually a quite good Jack Ryan, uh, but he, that was not also a very faithful adaptation of the book that it's based on and uh they's never have quite been able to to get the characterizations right and it's just a damn shame that they uh, didn't stick with uh Alec Baldwin cuz he would have man he was he was just aged into that role they could have just made them all in chronological order made a shit ton of money although i don't know how you adapt a 1200 page book into a 2 hour movie like at some, at some yeah. point some of these like Patriot games as small it was is they could have done a but, better job but some of these games when they get like too crazy it's like what the hell clear and present danger holy shit um, I've seen those maybe yeah. I don't remember
1: anything about them uh, well,
0: they're not they're just average thrillers you know yeah. or uh, maybe even below average but they have Harrison Ford just kind of elevates it because he's such a big star mm-hmm. and you know he can do things like you know when he sh- points his finger at doom and says god damn you president for unconstituting uh you know it's it's it seems Tells important the president
1: get off my plane oh wait no um, right. <laughs> John Malkovich is in one of those right he's like an assassin is Willem Dafoe plays John Clark and Willem one Dafoe of them, okay which that's is
0: like thinking. that yeah that's like the 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 biggest badass of the John. he's the Amos
1: from the expanse of the Jack Ryan universe um, I got one I more know. thing that I think yeah I thought was funny is that you've got this fancy computer system, right? That's trying to like this forty million dollar mm-hmm. computer or whatever that they talk about right. uh, with the sonar system. Uh-huh. And it's all and you've got this technician at the the controls, you know, listening in with his his perfectly attuned ears, and then right fucking behind him, you got a mm-hmm. dot matrix printer, one of the loudest known machines to man. <laughs> and hooked up to this $40 million computer, it just seemed like a uh-huh. joke to me that they would put something yeah. so loud and obnoxious. It's like, it, it, the the Russians have to be thinking, I thought there was a sub behind us, and I could have sworn I heard a dot matrix printer. <laughs> like, yeah. it's so fucking loud.
0: I know. And it's causing vibrations and all kinds of stuff. Oh, um, yeah. You know, there's... Uh, Uh, that brings me to the the point that almost destroys the movie for me and the book. Uh, and I only noticed this, like this probably the 12th time I've seen this movie. Jonesy figures out the red October within like five minutes of hearing it. Yeah. Like it's entirely possible that all this stuff happened and what the been the smart play for the Americans would be to sink the Russian who defected, And then pretend like they don't have the answer and let the Russians just believe that they've got this ace up their
1: sleeve. I mean, but I I don't know, but have it and they wouldn't have any defense against it either.
0: Yeah, but if you can if you can detect and if you can hear the boat like, uh, you know, because I guess that was the joke about the one of the reasons that the Russians didn't bother to go into the. The, the ocean and they stayed pretty much in their own territorial waters um, is because the, the Americans would just, they literally have an attack boat sunk on the bottom outside their naval bases. As soon as their boomers went out to sea the Russian attack sub would pick it up and just stay on its tail for near entire cruise. And the Russians, they, they, they have, um, I don't know. There's this, this stuff that's asserted in the book that I don't know if it's true. Um, but like, I guess American, there's like a, a way you can take pictures um from the outside of the sub and what Hmm. really daring uh attack boat skippers would do would get close enough these russian subs to take a picture of a toll number and then they would keep those like kill signs in their their bunk room like oh yeah we got this you know and and they, they like competed for the newest classes of russians that they they were so outclassed that like um whereas the americans um their their ohio class boats were so quiet that they could go uh, many times like they just parked themselves off major uh, Russian cities for months at a time and no one be the wiser. So I, I mm-hmm. do wonder like what if Jonesy just you know tells the fleet how to listen for this thing and then it's not a big deal and then you've got an advantage and they don't. But uh, I, I mean I get the impression that he
1: was like a special you're right case that, like he could hear something that maybe other people might not be able to hear. Right. But.
0: Maybe I mean, he's got golden ears, but uh, yeah. also could you not train that computer? But like I said, it, I didn't right. notice that until just this. Re- I'm like, well, he, he literally figures out the right October within minutes of meeting it. What the yeah. hell? And yeah, he is an exceptional guy, but it's like, you only need one Einstein to figure out e equals MC squared. And then the whole world knows. Right. Yeah. Um, But Hey, you know, forget, I said that flash this out of your podcast memory, go watch the movie and uh, pretend like that's not a huge, huge issue. No, it's, it's real good. I liked it. Well, that about wrap things up for the hunt for red October. We will be back next week here on the prestige channel uh, to talk about the 1961 movie hustler starring Paul Newman and Jackie Gleason. Um, I'm, I've never seen this, Jim. You've re- you you're really hyped me up for it though. Oh yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's one of my favorite Paul Newman movies. Get it, get a chance to see Paul Newman in his prime. Are you kidding me? uh so look forward to that thanks for watching or listening however you get this content and uh, we appreciate it we'll see you next week for hustler until then i'm aaron and i'm jim later